0: what's good friends list episode 34 of the game pass gamecast coming at you with the critical and commercial success of star wars jedi fallen order and marvel spider-man disney isn't wanting the trend to slow down anytime soon the entertainment giant recently stated they're wanting to partner with more developers to tell unique stories with their ip which has a lot of people using the phrase, what if. So, this week, Mike and I sit down to do just that, by examining how Disney has recently found the recipe for success by outsourcing game development, how diverse that back catalog is with the recent 20th Century Fox acquisition, and, of course, who would make a match made in heaven when developing these titles. Plus, Rainbow Six Siege is officially launching on Xbox Series X, but, does that mean for the current player base also remedy entertainment is working on multiple new projects (laughs) please be an alan wake sequel (laughs) excuse me (laughs) something in my throat (laughs) anyways including a new service-based title we put our tinfoil hats on to try to figure out what they might be working on and much more on the newest jam-packed episode of the game pass game (laughs) cast now the fun begins (laughs) Watch Welcome back to another episode of the Game Pass Gamecast, your weekly go-to podcast for all things Xbox and Xbox Game Pass, including news, rumors, and conversations around them damn good video games. You can catch new episodes of the show each and every Friday morning when they drop on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all other major podcast services. So be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get a podcast ad. And follow us on Twitter at gpgc podcast. Stay up to date with everything regarding the show and video games alike. Joining me today, one of my partners in crime here, Mike Ppac. Mike, as always, what's good? What's going on? And what kind of video games you've been playing, man?
1: Um, yeah, uh, not much has changed in my in my world. Um, pretty much like as far as what I've been playing, I've been playing a little bit of Warcraft Three Remastered or Reforged. Sorry, have they updated uh,
0: anything since uh, they- we last talked about it?
1: They've made a little, like, a few adjustments, but nothing crazy, nothing to, like, write home about and be, like, thrilled about, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside of that, I've just been playing some NHL, um, and I've just been playing um, some Smite, but outside of that, uh, oh, getting back into Halo 3 just a little bit, because people still play
0: the 2v2 playlist, mm-hmm. but outside of that, nothing crazy. So nothing really on the Halo front has, because I know you, you had some choice words about Halo last time I saw you talking about it, at least about <laughs> the support of it. Um, You know, what what recently has gone on that you feel kind of has stagnated or hurt the competitive Halo scene? Because, I mean, like we say, like, Infinite's right around the corner. Like this is a lot of people are putting so many eggs in Infinite's basket, both casual and hardcore fans that are saying, you know, this is Halo's comeback. This is this is the last really big push that we can make with this franchise to get it where it needs to go. Like it's reinvention. Um, you know, so why do you think like why do you think that Halo is stagnating right now in a time that's probably just ridiculously important to the potential growth or at least set up for a growth pattern with this franchise
1: yeah it's definitely something where it's not so much like i just think i don't know it's a combination of a few different um problems coming together to kind of create the storm Mm -hmm. um you have the hcs community which um, basically with the grassroots program, said that they were going to do all this cool stuff and basically just didn't do anything with it mm-hmm. and just kind of let, let it falter. And it seems like they're gearing up for Infinite, which is completely fine. But as far as having Reach be the game that comes out on PC and try to be the torchbearer going into Infinite, just doesn't really... I mean, there's, so basically the way the community is with Halo competitive is there were those that wanted to play Halo three and there was those that like are playing reach that weren't playing Halo three. So there's going to be less teams in reach competing on a, in a tournament to tournament basis. But that's because a lot of the Halo three players that were basically only going to play Halo three or Halo two stopped playing because reach, they don't like it. It's not like we don't mm-hmm. enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And then there's pl- people that like reach that didn't like playing three that are like excited to play reach, but basically it feels um, like
0: it, just from kind of an outsider looking in, in terms of the really heavy competitive scene, you know, we always say that options never hurt anybody as many options as possible. Never really hurt anyone. Does this particular, like does MCC having so many options for, you know, halo two, halo three now reach. And you know, now that it's on PC, all of those coming plus, ce on top of that that's going to be dropping relatively soon are too many options hurting this franchise competitively right now Um, where there's not like one you know what i'm saying like with call of duty world league like there's one call of duty that are that they're playing this is the one game that they are focusing on right now and that's you know the vision of that series right now competitively for at least the next 12 months you get what i'm saying Yeah, and there's a
1: topic that we're going to be discussing a little bit later in the show that um, pertains to Rainbow Six Siege. And it kind of begins to have this situation where we have these developers that are making these esport games Mm -hmm. that, you know, some of them, like Call of Duty, are going to have a new iteration every year. And that's just the way that game works. Mm -hmm. But games like, you know, Super Smash Brothers, you don't play the new games, you just play the old good ones. And There's other esports out there, uh, StarCraft Brood War, and I mean, people still play Brood War competitively, people play 2 competitively, so there's a little bit of a split there. But I think Halo could take a little bit of a, a page out of um, Super Smash Brother, who, by the way, it's pretty much community-driven, it's not like Nintendo putting on these tournaments, which it's kind no. of where we, we, we hit this snag with Halo, because they put in this prize money to these Twitch rival tournaments mm-hmm. and the Twitch rivals that were playing they didn't feel like the game was optimized correctly as far as controller versus mouse and keyboard so you had a 16,000 viewer streamer basically just shit talking your game the entire time <laughs> so it's like you put all this money into that instead of the amateur scene which by the way like There's no reason for any amateur gamer to be like, I'm going to pick up Halo and play that instead of Call of Duty or any other game because there's all this money in it. And it's not that people are in it for the money, but to the end of the day, if you want the top talent in the world to play your game, you have to have the money there. And they've just been kind of hoarding it for infinite. And there was a tweet that um, a popular Halo tweet, uh, like Halo community member, uh, I think it's Twitter handle, Um, let me pull it up on Twitter really quickly here, uh, what it would be, but he goes by like Moses on there Mm -hmm. and he tweeted out basically the statistics between teams attendance in the prize pools for the games and Mm -hmm. halo five was having 64 team tournaments, but their average, like their prize pool over the year was like a couple of million dollars because of the big halo world championship at the end. Mm -hmm. And then a game like halo three averaged 54 teams last year. And the prize total prize pool was like, it was like the average prize pool was like a uh, like like fifty thousand dollars total. Mm-hmm. So there's an, there's going to be a lot to be said, and and again, we'll wait to see what happens with Anaheim and how many teams for sure go. Mm-hmm. But the picking Anaheim to be the first tournament, releasing information a month ahead of time, uh, being late to make changes to the game types that t- the uh you know the community has been asking for it's just it's kind of culminating this bad storm that makes me like have a little bit of a pit in my stomach for anaheim i'm really concerned mm-hmm. concerned there's not going to be a lot of teams there i'm concerned the, st- the um, support's not going to be there from the amateur community because at the end of the day um you can only tap your amateurs dry so much like having us travel to all these different places and not having a prize pool and not giving us enough time ahead of ahead of the tournament to sufficiently plan our trips. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just going to, there's the hardcore like players that are going to make every tournament regardless. There's enough of us fringe people like me who like I could go like theoretically speaking, I could go, I could have went, I could have planned it, but I just didn't want to, I don't want to go there. I don't want to play reach. If it was any other game, like halo one, I'm going to, I downloaded the insider. And when the beta goes up here tonight, I'm going to play it like I would even play Halo One four v fours, and I never even played that competitively over Reach, just right. because it's just like I just don't want to play Reach. It's it the no bloom no sprint is like gimmicky. It's it's fine, but it's not what Halo needs right now, mm-hmm. and it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely concerning. Um, MCC as a whole, I don't think it's getting enough attention. I know they went back and they fixed it, but they have a lot of people spread thin over over there at 343 and mm-hmm. their track record isn't good. So it's definitely concerning and, and we'll just kinda wait to see. It's not that I'm a, a complete and total doubt doubter or I'm like, there's no way in hell this is gonna work, but mm-hmm. it's definitely concerning. And I mean it's it's this weekend, so it won't be very long until we see what's gonna come of the Anaheim tournament and it's coming up fast. So we'll see what happens. But I definitely um you know it's definitely weird to uh and you know the point I haven't made is the fact that they split the community base because it's not cross-play. Mm-hmm. So you have people that are only yeah. playing on Xbox, and you have people that are trying to play on PC, and it's
0: it's tough. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it just seems like it, it just seems like they're just convoluting everything and just overcomplicating a lot of things, and it seems like they're just throwing everything and just everything at a wall and seeing just what sticks, which is good at times but it's not like there's just no commitment it seems like or at least it's not focused commitment. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, no, totally. Um I, I definitely
1: I definitely get it. Uh it's 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 weird. Um I just there's a a huge lack of um you know, growth there that like they're just not doing the the little things right. And when you don't do the little things right for growth in your community, Mm -hmm. you can't expect everything to just snap one day and everything just come into a line and everything be good. That's just not the way it works. You got to do the little things right. And Xbox as a company, Microsoft with their Xbox system is doing all those little things right coming into this next generation. But 343 is a a design studio that I just don't see doing the little things right right now. I don't see enough transparency with the community about what they're aiming to do, about what their goals are. They promised us that they would have a roadmap for HCS tournaments this this year. The Mm -hmm. first HCS tournament is in a week and we don't have a roadmap. If they're going to wait till infinite, at least tell us that. But you made it sound like it was going to be out for this year. Mm Mm-hmm. I know they say, well, you know, their big excuse has been we can't get premier rates on certain venues if we plan it far enough ahead. Mm -hmm. And my argument to them is like, okay, you won't need preferred rates if you give us four months to plan because there's going to be enough teams that show up. But if you only give us a month to show up to Anaheim, worry about Airbnb travel because Anaheim, you can fly into Anaheim, but it's cheaper to fly to LAX and then it's an hour to get to Anaheim. So how are you going to get there? Mm-hmm. Then you got to worry about just the straight up cost of everything in LA is, is a lot more. Um, I felt like waiting until Dallas or doing a big thing at Gamers Forgiving in Detroit in March. Or waiting till Dallas for May would have been probably the play because Dallas is a lot cheaper for most everyone to get to. It's a hub for American Airlines, mm-hmm. so it's really easy for everybody to get to. Cost of living in Texas isn't horrible. Um, the hotels in Dallas were reasonable. Like it just seemed like that would have been what they should have done. But we'll be—I'll be interested to see if they make a switch from Reach. I doubt it, but we'll see what they do for um, Dallas. Because I—I mean. I would imagine they're going to put on a tournament, but it wouldn't shock me completely if they just scrapped it until infinite, which I don't think is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. But at what point are you just going to say, you know what, like we're just going to put all our eggs in the infinite basket. And if it doesn't work, uh, you know, I don't know what they're going to do as a company because at that point, it's pretty much over because this is, this is it. This is what everyone's really waiting for, you know?
0: Right. No, I definitely catch it, man. I get it. Um, on my end, really, uh, kind of bouncing around between a few things I've been playing I know I end up saying this half the time whenever I start this um I've been playing on something on PS4 and I don't really talk about it because obviously this isn't the show for that but been playing a little bit of Days Gone kind of got into that but been kind of bouncing around on a couple different things and I'm having like I'm having like gamer ADD in terms of like having a hard time sticking to something because I know that there's big titles coming like the big wave of like late or like early spring to like late spring titles are coming. Doom Eternal. We got uh Final Fantasy seven coming up. Uh, then Last of Us part two, even Animal Crossing thrown there. I'm like interested in playing that, um, you know, so there's a lot of bigger projects that are coming. So I'm kind of like all over the place right now, but uh got back into playing siege a little bit, only played a handful of games. Um, nice. But you know, it it just with, and we're going to talk about it here soon. Uh, but with the six invitational, Coming this past weekend, I was like, "Ah, I kind of want to jump in and just play a few games, and you know, ended up playing a handful of games throughout the weekend. Uh, Still, fun game, nothing to never like. I never get super serious with it, but it seems to be it's between that and CSGO that seems to be my two games as a service games, my multiplayer games on PC that I usually go to whenever I just want to play an FPS. Um, but I also jumped into Molly and I finished Life is Strange a while ago. We started, um, I can't remember if I talked I talked about Man of Dan last time that was (laughs) wasn't great um and I told I even told Collins like hey he, he we were texting about it and he was like I see you're playing it like should I jump into that should I try playing that and I was like give me like two more nights and then I'll let you know for sure I early on I'm like yeah maybe but just it's not a very long game from what I hear let me let me try and let you know i mean the game probably only took four hours to beat so it was like which is fine it's built around replayability and i i kind of like that in a sense because it's built to like play with a group of people they even have an option where you you could play the game by passing the controller and everything that's cool um but the like they just wrap things up super quick with no explanation and it's just I I ended up, like, telling them, like, nah, I would just leave that one in the wrapping, man. I mean, if you really want to, like, find something to play, like, and you're desperate, play it. But, meh, it's not that great. Um, Yeah, it's not, like, one that you're, like, oh, my gosh, I have to... No, Until Dawn blew it out of the water. Like, uh, they... I I don't want to say, like, uh, Supermassive, like, peaked with Until Dawn, but... It was ridiculously good. I'm excited for the next one that they're making in that anthology series called Little Hope. It seems more in line with, you know, uh, Until Dawn and seems more of a traditional supermassive like horror style game like that. Um, So I'm excited about that. But I started the little prequel spinoff for Life is Strange called Before the Storm with my fiance uh, really good, we're only, it's three episodes, we only got through the first one, so we'll probably play more of that tonight, uh, which I'm excited, I love that universe, uh, she got me for Valentine's Day, Life is Strange 2, so I'm really excited to jump into that when we're done with this, uh, prequel, uh, but, yeah, and then the other thing I was playing, oh, that's right, um, because Adam and I last week were talking about System Shock on one of the news articles, I was like, I want to kind of play, like, I have it, and I've never played it, and people were talking about it again, because I think it was on PlayStation Plus free games this year, or this year, this month. Um, Bioshock Infinite. Jumped into that in the remaster collection. Um, I don't know what it is about Bioshock. I am ex- I love the universe. I love the world that they build. I just have always felt the controls are really slippy. The sound design is something that it's, it's good for. I'm sure it was much better in... You know, in this case, 2013 when it launched, but now in the, you know, now in a world with, uh, you know, 7.1 surround sound being basically standard for everybody's headsets, everybody is wearing headsets most of the time, they're not a taboo thing like you would see only Turtle Beaches at you know, a Best Buy, and they're, like, $400, like, no, everybody has, like, headsets now that just connect wirelessly, that people are listening in surround sound audio, the uh, sound design, or the, yeah, the sound design is not great, um, but I love that world bidding, I love that universe, slippy controls and all, it's really cool, I'm excited for the future of Bioshock, because I think it's going to feel much more modern, obviously, when it comes out, and I hope it does, um, but, I still dig it. I'll probably eventually finish. Those games are relatively quick. They're only, they're gotta be less than 10 hours to be. They're not very in depth. Um, But it's still a cool universe I eventually do want to go back into. Um, But right now, to be quite honest, Days Gone kind of has its hooks in me. Uh, So I'll probably be playing more of that, unfortunately. I know, I know. We're an Xbox show, but... You know what? Fuck it. It's our show. You know, we're going to talk about what we want. (laughs) Speaking of talking about what we want, before we get into our news articles, a little bit of housekeeping, we've got to talk about our Doom Eternal giveaway. Uh, Now, last time uh, Mike was on here, he already knows. You already know the question I'm going to ask. Mike, are you hyped for Doom Eternal?
1: Yes, yeah, Because you know
0: I am. You know I am. I'm real fucking hyped. I know I am. I know we are, though. But, and we want to make sure you get in on the action. So, we're giving away one free copy of Doom Eternal for Xbox One or PC to one lucky listener, and entering is very easy. So, go over to at GP, GC Podcast on Twitter. Follow us over there. You know, wink, wink. Retweet the pinned tweet about the contest, and boom, that's it. You're entered. But, if you want to improve your odds of winning, you can get an extra entry by tagging a friend in the tweet about the contest, so then, at least, if you're like me, and unlucky, you hopefully have a buddy who wins, and then you can fucking mooch off of him, and, you know, take his game, and when he's not, you know, paying attention, you could either, you know, stab him in the leg while he's sleeping, and he's like, oh, fuck, my fucking leg, what's going on, wait, why are you leaving, wait, why do you have my doom eternal, what the fuck is going on, you know, I digress you know it's it's a long complicated story I don't want to talk about it, it may have happened to whatever anyways I'll don't worry though I'll also have a tweet in the description below that you know wherever you get this podcast at you'll be able to click right on there so you literally have no excuse to enter it'll take you right to there just gotta follow in retweet so we'll pull a winner on the March 13th episode of the show so you gotta enter by March 12th 11 p.m eastern time so like nine o'clock pacific wherever else you are in the world fucking look it up figure it out (laughs) i don't i don't have all the time unfortunately you're all awesome for listening we do have international listeners i see the stats i see them (laughs) i see you like four percent spain shout out to you i want to meet you i want to talk to you so so head on over to add gpgc podcast today and enter (laughs) shout out to the three percent shout out (laughs) all right let's head into the news mike all right first news article we're coming our way rainbow six siege is coming to playstation 5 and xbox series x with crossplay potentially in the works this comes from windows central by matt brown as always link in the description go over there give matt a click over at windows central to get him squared away so Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege continues to scale, with Ubisoft now committing to plans for the next two years for its hit multiplayer shooter. It comes as the title consistently tops its portfolio of live service experiences, bolstered by regular tri-monthly seasons and free content updates. And, as Ubisoft shares its vision for a sustainable content lineup moving forward, it's also prepping and preparing for PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. Rainbow Six Siege targets a launch day release on both next generation consoles, Lee Roy If I fuck that up, I'm really sorry. The game director of Rainbow Six Siege tells Windows Central. With recent amendments to its seasonal structure, its team of several hundred employees is committing resources towards the new systems. Ubisoft hopes Rainbow Six Siege leverages the hardware, that hardware on release day, translating to holiday 2020 availability. Quote Why I can't give you a date is because those dates are, in the end, on the people doing the next-gen consoles. Athanos states, I really hope I don't fuck that up. I'm really sorry if I do. (laughs) What I can tell you is that we are going to be on the consoles from launch. When they will release the consoles, but it's up to them to agree on that. For Siege, our target is to be available right at launch. To avoid community fragmentation throughout the transition, Rainbow Six Siege will also feature cross-generation multiplayer. For example, that means if you play on the next PlayStation, you will be able to matchmake with the previous PlayStation. Ubisoft also remains in discussions to bring cross-play to Xbox One and PlayStation 4, although it comes with numerous policy hurdles to circumvent. Again, a quote, again, this is more of a discussion between Microsoft and Sony. We would love to be fully cross-play, have Xbox players match make against the PlayStation players. We are ready to support that. And hopefully this will happen because as I said, it's a general move in the industry and there's nothing that can prevent that. It's just a matter of time before it happens. So just to give it a little context in the current situation of Rainbow Six Siege. Last night, Rainbow Six Siege topped the Twitch charts, number one, with over 200 thousand concurrent viewers for the Six invitational that's their big uh you know big heavy competitive pro competitive event for the year um and they also had like a bunch of content creators there for siege play in a content creator like cup too it was really cool um but no matter what you really think about the game it's literally continued to be one of the most popular and most respected esports in the world but at the same time though it's always felt like It flies under the radar in a world where Fortnite, League of Legends, and more really dominate the esports space. Do you think having Siege available on launch day for Xbox Series X, Mike, is going to potentially give a jolt to the player base in terms of its casual audience and hopes to bring more eyes to the competitive aspects of that game, given that it's going to be one of those games in a launch lineup that's usually... You know, when new consoles usually launch, you're only looking at a handful of games. You go to buy a new console and it's like, shit, I got to buy something to play on it. Oh, there's only like five games to choose from. Oh, Siege, I hear a lot of people play that. I'm going to grab that. What do you think? Do you think that's going to help bolster its player base, at least in terms of getting that, you know, number of players in, obviously. But also on top of that, that word of mouth almost or that natural progression being one of, you know, almost a big fish in a small pond for a launch lineup game on this new console. Um, I definitely think, uh, it's going to help
1: the player base in general, because it's something that like, you know, for a fact that it's a proven commodity, if you've played Rainbow Six Siege and the only, like, you know, as a player that if you get a new system, that's, you know, going to be as beefy as the, um, Xbox, the new Xbox, uh, the new Xbox X series Mm -hmm. and even the new PS5, uh, you know, they're saying that they're going to have it on PS5 also, um, you know that it's going to run better, the graphics are going to be better than what you experienced on your Xbox One if you were an Xbox One player. So for me, I think it's a no-brainer. I think it's a really good idea. And it also sends a message to the competitive community of Siege. It's like, hey, this is going to be the game for the foreseeable future, at least, because on the new systems that are coming out, it's not like they're coming out with a new Rainbow Six that's going to take over Siege. Um, We've heard that they're going to release a new Rainbow Six game that's going to be a spinoff of Siege, and it's going to be like a a cooperative game. Mm-hmm. So we already see these see um you know Ubisoft kind of taking the stance where like Siege is going to be the competitive game for us. So from a competitive standpoint, it's nice that you see your game dev studio of Ubisoft kind of take a stance and you say like tell you like this is going to be the game you're going to play for a while. Mm-hmm. So it makes those players that have put the time in really happy. And also again, um you know having the crossplay Options for the new uh, consoles is going to be great because that means that, like, night one, you're not going to be in this little like player base that you know everyone who mm-hmm. got their systems and set it up first and got the um updates done like that's all you're going to be playing against like that's not going to be the case you're going to be playing you could be playing with your friends that have the xbox one that can't afford the xbox series x yet or their parents haven't bought it for them yet so i think it's a really good idea for them because it's just going to keep the player base together and i think it's very important and it's something that 343 i think is going to try to do with infinite I think they're going to try to keep the player base together on launch day for that game also, because they know how important it is to have everybody playing on the same iteration of the game, because they're seeing what's happening with Reach on PC and Reach on Xbox One, and they're seeing the the split there, and I think that they, they're going to learn from it, and this is a great... Uh, Moved by ubisoft and i think everyone's a winner including ubisoft because you're gonna get more copies of your game sold which might be a little cheesy but you had to do some legwork to get it to work on the xbox series x and ps5 so they deserve um you know they deserve compensation for it and they're gonna get it in droves because people are gonna want to play it and that's awesome and i'm excited to see what happens night one with uh siege i probably won't get it on xbox series x but that's because i have it on pc Mm -hmm. so i wouldn't bother like getting it again and i already paid full price for it back when it first came out Mm -hmm. so um i think it's a really good move um and the topic of them topping the twitch charts with over 200k confirmed concurrent viewers is really interesting to me uh like you said they did have some personalities there to help drive up the viewership which is the smart thing to do Mm -hmm. um I mean that's like a no-brainer there to get more viewers, more eyes on your game. And whenever players see your game working as it did with the Six Invitational and they see what kind of system you have going with esports, um you know, you see a developer giving uh your community that much support and it only makes you want to be a part of that computer uh community that much more and you said it yourself that it even had that effect on you. Mm-hmm. So I think they did a really good job. And I'm excited um I'm excited for the next uh, generation of consoles, but I'm more excited for these developers that are, you know, just taking it in stride and deciding, you know, we're not going to get a new Siege. We're not going to make it Rainbow Six Siege 2 yet. Um, you're going to be able to play the same Siege. It's just going to run better, and it's going to have better graphics on your new console. It's going to be awesome.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it, to be honest, one, this doesn't, this completely does not shock me um, that, one, it's going to you know go to the next generation of consoles because Ubisoft has been so vocal about hey we're not when they launched the game and I think it was around maybe like 2017 2018 they started talking about it more whenever the game started to get on a track where people were saying oh fuck this game is fixed or quote unquote fixed it has a ton of new content it has a surging player base it's really Player friendly in terms of the content that you're getting, there's a drift feed for everything. You're not going out there and buying, you're only it's very much like uh, Counter Strike. You're buying only you know, cosmetics, you can only do certain things. There's no play like pay to win monetization things, technically. I mean, the only thing that they offer is the season passes or buying the operators individually. But um, they were always very vocal of when they started to see that groundswell of this game and their commitment to it so the player base would grow they always said that this was going to be a game that wasn't in and out this is there's no they were like we have no future plans for a next rainbow six very much like you know valve with csgo that they're like this is our next this is our project and we're committing to this for like 10 years i think it was like something like that they were like we could see this game going for you know seven to ten years or whatever till we move on past that so it, it doesn't shock me but it's really good knowing That one, it's going to be their launch day because I think that's going to really help them a lot. But also, two, the way that they're presenting Siege now is almost makes me think if it wasn't Ubisoft developing and publishing this game, i I would almost feel like it would be heading towards a free to play like model because Mm -hmm. of the way that they're bringing people in at such a low. Uh, it's almost like the division right now. Like they're just wanting to get people in and then buy the expansions. They'll sell it for dirt cheap, but you get, you know, you come and you pay $30 for the new expansion. That's out. um, almost like a lot of MMOs and live service games do do now, but, um, it's, it reminds me so much of the Fortnite model where it's not necessarily a game anymore. It's a platform. And like they're saying soon enough, it's going to go full on cross play where everyone's going to be able to play it on every console, you know, and, Granted, with a shooter like an FPS like Siege, it's best to, in my opinion, leave the PC players to their own. Um, just because of the PC versus console is very, very, very different. If you ask me, in terms of the way that games are approached and whatnot. For I mean, the accuracy with PC is ten times ridiculously better. Um, you know, it's just a completely different game. I think on in any shooter really, uh, between PC and console, but um. Yeah, I mean it doesn't shock me, and it's good. It's as long as they have it there day one, like they're saying, and it's scalable. It it's runs on it runs on pretty low end gaming PCs. It runs on the lowest you know current gen hardware for consoles, and it's hopefully going to be scalable where people can plug that in and play at 4K 60 or 1080 120 or something like that on their console. Um, so hopefully that's their day one. But I think Siege to me is. If you ask me the support they have with the money that Ubisoft dumps into them, the player base that continues to grow, the, at least the attempt to attack toxicity and players leaving and whatnot, the way that they combat that and support the eSport, um, I look at it as like a top tier eSport, personally. I I think it's, it's right up there, almost tier one eSport, um, but It'll be, I'm really curious to see where it goes and the player base goes moving forward, though, especially into next gen and see if they carry that over and even grow from there. So let's head into our next one, Mike. Next news article, a playable build of StarCraft Ghost has appeared online. It's a game we haven't heard about in a long time. This comes from over on IGN by Joseph Knopp, read about him before, kind of funny best friend. Make sure you go check out the link in the description for this article. Go over there and give him a click as always. An early playable Xbox build... Xbox build, build, An early playable Xbox build of Starcraft Ghost, the cancelled third-person shooter set in Blizzard's Starcraft universe, has reportedly leaked online, according to Kotaku. The footage gives us a major look into Blizzard's troubled offshoot game. Images of Starcraft Ghost appeared on Twitter user Andrew Broman's feed Sunday morning, who said that the images were posted anonymously in Xbox forums. If a couple of screenshots aren't enough for you, another person has uploaded about 11 minutes of footage from Starcraft Ghost to YouTube. YouTuber Lears Menzies shared the footage, which appears to be from the third mission of the same game that Borman earlier tweeted about. In the footage, we can see StarCraft Ghost protagonist Nova running around a very early 2000s 3D alien planet, climbing some ledges and firing on a massive alien with her Goss rifle, which, instead of firing projectiles, appears to call down a Hammer of Dawn style energy beam. Nova later ziplines across a battlefield. StarCraft Ghost was announced in 2002 and originally going to launch on the playstation 2 xbox and gamecube blizzard first worked with developer Nahilstick software then later swinging ape studios after several delays in development the game was put on infinite hold in 2006 former blizzard president mike morheim put the final nail in the coffin of starcraft ghost by confirming its cancellation in 2014 (laughs) just a little bit later um almost a decade yeah if you guys are still waiting for that i don't know why you are but no no it's it's not happening well technically i guess it did happen but um so like over the past almost 20 years really since blizzard has kind of really hit that home run of consistently putting out quality quote-unquote quality products and has been such a household name in gaming you know they've continued to try to redefine their franchises with various spin-offs such as Heroes of the Storm and really the aforementioned Ghost StarCraft Ghost with really truly I would say World of Warcraft and Hearthstone being the only true successes and Blizzard is really one of many developers and publishers with successful IP that this happens to. Why do you think so many spin-off games traditionally speaking at least falter compared to their original source material why do you think starcraft ghost keeps saying like keeps staying in the what if zeitgeist like why does starcraft ghost keep popping up everywhere especially considering when it's put on you know infinite hold in 2006 and still has to be confirmed like oh yeah that was canceled in 2014 like granted okay if it's put on indefinite hold it could be one of those things okay we'll scrap it we'll look later down the line to reboot it and you know from the ground up let's keep the same idea but try something different but uh, why do people keep asking for something in that starcraft universe like what about it i guess draws people in that they want to see more stories within that universe as well i think i see if i didn't
1: have like a When you used to buy Blizzard games back then, they would have a little booklet in the front of the Mm -hmm. case of the game that would kind of show you what's coming down the pipe from Blizzard. And if I hadn't had like a a newer copy of um, Starcraft Brood War, which Mm -hmm. included a booklet about Ghost, I wouldn't even really know that much about this game. But I think just the pure, like everyone that played blizzard games back then and enjoyed starcraft really enjoyed the campaign. Uh, it was a really stellar campaign. It did a really good job at telling stories and it was interesting. I think everyone was just kind of excited to sink their teeth into something blizzard would make. That would be like first person or third person and focusing in on a, on the story of a ghost, um, with a female protagonist, I think was definitely something that people were genuinely interested in. Mm-hmm. And they were really excited for the thought of it because it does start to make you wonder, you know, if you're familiar with the Starcraft universe and the Starcraft games, you know, what kind of unit the ghost is. I mean, it's in competitive scenes. It's definitely not used or hardly used at all, Mm -hmm. um, but in a more casual sense. And in the campaign, you use them more and you can drop nukes and you can in competitive. It's just really expensive and it's really risky. And people don't usually use it because at high level in competitive play, it's not really viable, Mm -hmm. but I think just the idea of following around a ghost and actually having a story told from a ghost point of view would have been, you know, really awesome. And I think people at that point in time were so enthralled with everything Blizzard. Like, they just loved Blizzard at that point in time because they were hitting everything out of the park. Everything they touched was gold at that point in time in their, um, you know, in their design studios. Uh, You're talking about a game like Diablo 1 came out, um, StarCraft 1, Diablo 2 you know, the Warcraft 1, 2, and 3, and then mm-hmm. you're looking at expansions for Warcraft, or expansions for Warcraft, Diablo, and Starcraft, and every single one of them, people seem to like the expansion more than the original, which is, you know, something that's worth noting in today's day and age, that people are right, looking oh, newer sure. things were coming out. So, I think it was just a combination of, like, everyone was really excited for Blizzard's next big project, and the idea of getting something... Uh, a game like that from blizzard storytelling point of view who by the way like blizzard back in the early 2000s their storytelling was just unreal they did such a great job with cut scenes they were really remarkable and it's not that they've fallen off or anything's gone awry with them i mean they're really good still but i think there's a bit of nostalgia factor that builds into this hype surrounding this game uh-huh. that people you know When you look back at things, uh, you tend to look at it with a jaded point of view. You look at it, um, you know, maybe not jaded. I think jaded would have a negative connotation, but you would have more of an optimistic view on these games that at the time you might have had complaints about them or you might have not thought they were perfect. But sometimes nostalgia has this way of like, smoothing everything out to where you don't remember a lot of the negatives you only remember the positives and i think that's the way people that are blizzard fans look back at these games like diablo 2 and starcraft 1 and diablo 1 and you know the potential for starcraft ghost i think you just kind of look at it with uh you know um uh nostalgia lenses and it kind of skews it for you and you don't really realize what it was actually like but you romanticize what you thought it is like and what you think it's like and in your own head you have this expectation and i think that's a huge reason for why ghost you know it's like it's like it's like one of those cult classic things where like it was one of the best things that never was like it I think a lot of people that are blizzard fans would consider it to be like the greatest thing that never actually was with blizzard. Like that was going to be the next big thing, but it just never came to fruition. So yeah. I think that's kind of why people, even in 2014 were like, Hey, what about that ghost thing? You guys never really confirmed that was canceled. Mm-hmm. And it's like, dude, that was supposed to come out in 06. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's, it, dude, like, okay. Uh, you know, it's dead, like not happening. Sorry to burst your bubble, but, but, um yeah i mean that's that's basically my opinion of it but it's cool that somehow a dev copy of the game seems to have leaked out of that old someone took that home someone took that dev game home when it was canceled and they were like you know what like we worked (laughs) on it a little bit i'm proud of what we had it's playable i'll kick it in every once in a while and then you know what happened someone showed up and was like you know, you know i know you used to work for blizzard or you still work for blizzard and they had a few beers and it was like hey whatever happened to that ghost thing and you're like dude you'll never guess <laughs> i snuck out with one of the copies let's fucking fire it up yeah, and and, just like and, and, oh fuck i totally forgot <laughs> yeah and it's like okay now you know after this many years since it's leaking i'm sure blizzard's not thrilled but at the end of the day what can you really do nobody thinks you're making the game it's over but it's just kind of cool that it's it's something that, like, again, most of our listeners, a majority of our listeners, might have never even heard that this game was being talked about or being True. developed. So, it's newsworthy because it, it might be a little niche, like, but it's newsworthy because there's enough people outside of that niche that, like, you're interested in the fact that it was it was a thing and it was that close to being done, but never ended up getting to the finish line, or it never went gold, you know?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. i it it always felt like too for me, and just thinking out loud too, really. That it, I could see so many people who, not granted, you had Diablo one go to PS or go to PlayStation, the PS one. You also had Starcraft go on the N sixty four with Starcraft sixty four. Outside of that, though, like traditionally blizzard games pc you know and then you see more of these games start to pop up with console ports or offshoots like this where blizzard is probably thinking hey like granted a lot of our games are either isometric that really take advantage of using the mouse for directional use or we're just rts games and those are just inherently better playing on a pc um you know and they we get you get the most out of them playing on a pc but you know we have something here with this lore, like we could make one a shit ton of money, and two, get a lot more people in our ecosystem, I guess, of our, you know, back catalogue of games, by at least getting them in through different means of these spinoff games that so we could always try something different and put it on a console. And if blizzard's attached to it, fuck, people are probably gonna buy it. So at least at that point in time. So Especially at that point in time. Yeah. So it it doesn't shock me, but You know, it's just, I always think it's funny whenever you see ghosts just kind of fucking pop up every now and then. And, like, the fact that it took Mike Morheim in 2014 to be like, no, that's not happening. Like, it's fucking dead. (laughs) There's one out there who's just like, are you sure? (laughs) Are Are you you, sure
1: that's what's happening? Are you sure you're not lying to us?
0: He's just pulling one over on us. (laughs) Anyways, let's head into our last news article here. Remedy. Entertainment is working on two new games and, quote, prepared for the next generation. This comes over on Games Radar by Alex Avard. As always, link in the description. So, it reads, Remedy Entertainment, the finished studio behind beloved titles like Alan Wake and Control has revealed more about its future plans in a new financial statement. Most notably, the developer confirmed that it has two original new projects in the work. The first is a quote, unannounced game project that the report states is proceeding well, while the second, codenamed Vanguard, is about to enter pre-production, described as a quote, a game that combines long-term service-based multiplayer experiences with some of Remedy's unique game features. In addition, Remedy has reiterated that, reiterated that was continuing it was continuing to process uh continuing to progress on the previously announced controlled dlc for last year's critically acclaimed third person shooter both of which will release in twenty twenty, alongside the single player campaign for popular shooter Crossfire, which is launching on Xbox One later this year as a console exclusive. Finally, the p- report also states that Remedy is conducting, quote, ongoing work so that we are prepared for the next generation of consoles arriving in 2020. Referring to both the incoming arrival of the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X this holiday season. So Remedy really i in my opinion is currently at an all-time high in terms of faith with the fan base after the stellar performance of control and just it, they're literally i think after bouncing back from the i don't want to say it was disastrous by any means but the lukewarm reception to quantum break and coming back with something as artistically unique and beloved now as control for a lot of people um you know is really kind of put them at the top of the pecking order of independent really quote-unquote independent game developers um, that aren't owned by a first-party publisher or a large you know publisher in general so when looking at their catalog of projects paired with the statement of what vanguard is going to be you know that centers around being a long-term service-based game with remedies you know flair that they put on things their unique gameplay mechanics what could this game be you know, let's kind of put on our thinking caps here and think a little weird. I mean, control, we're looking at control. You are the director of the Federal Bureau of Control, where you're able to you have these powers that you're able to pull rock and throw to people and float and levitate. Alan Wake went into almost a horror and, you know, kind of almost very like Blair Witchy in a sense, but more like psychological. Um, you know, what do you think, Mike? What are you hoping to see out of something by Remedy Entertainment, who's known for this weird and wacky and almost like off offshoot like science fiction esque pulpiness, um, you know, Twin Peaksy, I guess you could say. You know, what are you hoping? What can you see out of something that's service based and multiplayer that you know could be pretty unique?
1: The um, I guess the only thing you can really count on with Remedy it's gonna be unique, right? Because everything's just so different with them and it's not even like it's like different in a horrible way Mm. but they do like to put their own spin on things um it's it's definitely it's uh i wish like i even tried to prepare an answer for this question Mm. and now that i think about what i prepared it's like it i'm completely at the will of remedy gaming and er, remedy entertainment excuse me and what they're going to provide us. I have no clue what to expect. (laughs) Like I said, if I'm going to expect one thing, it's going to be something like a unique experience. That's going to have a lot of narrative driven gameplay. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the only common theme between their games is unique gameplay experiences, unique gameplay. And the fact that, you know, there's always a different way. It's always usually a different way to go about playing the game whether it be Alan Wake with a flashlight and, you know, like mm-hmm. you said, with control, having control of, uh, you know, basically telekinesis in a way where you could move objects to affect the game. Mm-hmm. You know, they always do something that's just a little bit different than everyone else. And that's going to be a great experience. And I'm excited to see what they release, because like you said, they're on a pretty big high right now. So the only way it seems like their stock can go is up from here, mm-hmm. but the, the only answer i have to this is like just expect something unique out of this group and something with it's gonna get you coming back for more usually though it's gonna have you wanting to learn more about a story or about a character or you know i think as a multiplayer game for a for a service we think of games like wow and mmo games i think this is going to be something like that but i do think it's going to have some streamlined storytelling done with it which is going to be something unique to the mmo platform because the mmo is basically like tailored for no one it's basically pretty wide open and the this isn't like a a dig on mmo games (laughs) it's it's not really my cup of tea but i don't think that there's any like one storyline you're everyone's going to get the exact same because it's pretty sandboxy it's pretty generic like go to this guy get this quest do this do Mm -hmm. that get this i don't think control i don't think the new game from remedy is going to be like that i think it's going to be something that has more narrative to it and i'm excited to see what they do
0: yeah i could definitely see it being almost almost like kind of like a marvel's avengers that's coming out where it's Or even like an anthem, in a sense, where, yeah, it has these live service features, but it's more of a co-op, or you're going through and you're doing different, like, missions, more or less, and there's more story content that's built around it, comparative to, you know, just a MMO, World of Warcraft, uh enter generic mmo experience or first person shooter experience it's just one that's not their wheelhouse that's something that they've never done but at the same time too ninja theory coming off of the heels of uh uh hellblade and going into hellblade 2 now plus project mara and all these more grounded experiences in terms of realism and mental terror they're also putting out bleeding edge so, like, not that it's anything that's wrong. It's a live service game that's going to make them money and definitely please Microsoft and help their bottom line at the end of the day. It's going to for sure make them a ton of money because it's a live service game and people seem to dig it so far, at least from the beta. But you know, it's it's not their traditional wheelhouse. So who the hell knows? I mean, it's it's hard to tell with them. They're such a wild, they're such a wild card, man. That it's like anything they put out, I'm always interested in because it's so wild, it's so wacky but it's always done very well for the most part, Um, that, to be honest, I'll probably still try it, or at least be somewhat interested, because I trust them with a lot of stuff, I'm, I just want an Alan Wake 2, I never beat the first one, but love the aesthetic, love the story, love the world that they built with Alan Wake, and now that, I mean, I guess, spoilers, if you haven't played Control, not that it's a core story spoiler, or whatever, there's hints, in certain parts of, like, books that you can find within Control, uh, just, like, little collectibles in the world that kind of point towards Alan Wake and Control being in the same universe. Not that that's a big spoiler or anything. It has nothing to do with the actual story or whatever. So, um, but, yeah, I'd like to see something like that happen. So, who the hell knows, though, what we're going to see. <laughs> Mike, let's head into our big topic for this week. And, you know, it's it's a little different, but there's a, there's a reason to it i guess like there's a we'll focus it in a little bit more because what we're going to talk about is kind of so big and so you know there's a lot to unpack with it but let's let's just dive into it so last week at the 2020 dice summit the design innovate connect entertain event and award show from the academy of interactive arts and sciences <laughs> imagine like the game of awards but only more of the like film writers guild Awards Like, it's much more, like, focused in on the industry comparative to, you know, these games at a more pop culture center. It's more industry-focused. Um, So, last week at the Summit for DICE, Disney Senior VP for Games and Interactive Services, Sean Soptau, Soptau, yeah, Sean Shop, Sean Soptau, if I could say that 15 times fast, Sean Soptau reiterated uh, the company's new real approach to when they when they handle their IPs in gaming. And really, they want to put them in the hands of outside developers, outsource these games to the right developers. More importantly, they want these developers to take freedoms when designing these games and the stories they tell. So, and really, it's not that hard to think about. With the newly announced critical and financial success of EA and Respawn, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, and, of course, last year's record-breaking performance from Sony and Insomniac's uh, Spider-Man in 2018... It really does come as no surprise that the entertainment giant that is Disney is trying to keep that trajectory the same for success. So with how common gaming has really become in the mainstream media and more people playing games than ever, that means more people are starting to see through really the bullshit that comes with these quick cash grab games. And mainly with the 18 to 35 age demographic being the main demographic of gamers, those who have the financial support to consistently buy games, the people are becoming more and more informed on their purchases through reviews, previews, hands-on reactions, all that jazz, et cetera, et cetera. So more focuses on if a game's good or not. And if a game's good or not, that's going to be more sales. So instead of just putting out these quick cash grabs that, you know, yeah, you may get a flash in the pan and you may get, you know, a handful of sales right off the bat, but end up in the $5 bargain bin at a fucking Walgreens, like that nobody ends up buying. Then what? And you're kind of in the hole then. So we're seeing more and more sales come from these committed projects. And in Disney's case now, they see it coming from outside developers like a Respawn, like an Insomniac hopefully, like a Crystal Dynamics, so today I kind of want to talk about Disney's new approach to using their IPs in gaming, and what that can mean for the possible reinvention of some of their most beloved IPs in this, in really viewing through this entertainment medium, so first up, when most people think Disney, they think Mickey Mouse, obviously, I mean, no fucking shit, (laughs) um, but Disney is a completely different company than it was 30 years ago, fuck, even like, 30 days ago so now we have star wars marvel abc touchstone pictures the history channel hell now even 20th century fox are all under the disney umbrella making the franchises they own very very long and dense i mean there's so much in there i don't want to call it a monopoly yet but fuck it's (laughs) uh so mike what touchstones do you have to gaming with both both past and present disney properties and what have you thought of them overall what comes to mind when you think of these disney properties in gaming
1: i mean i, th- I think the first thing that really comes to mind probably for everybody is a- like a game like kingdom hearts mm-hmm. i think kingdom hearts is so popular and it uses disney in a lot of their characters in a really good way i think um mm-hmm. even though i might not be the biggest fan of kingdom hearts from the from a game standpoint, mm-hmm. I think it's undeniable what they did with, you know, the Disney characters and everything of that nature. But when you start getting into talking about everything that Disney has now with Marvel and, and uh, the History Channel and 20th Century Fox and ESPN's even, you know, in there, it's like there's a lot of different things, you know, that you have have to a lot of different avenues that you have Um to go to go to and mm-hmm. usually I think when you think of especially people our age when you think of Disney mm-hmm. I think you touched on touched it on like hit the nail on the head with a Mickey Mouse comparison and you think of those childish movies and games like Aladdin but you know as a kid growing up I had a Sega and I played the Lion King and Aladdin and the Jungle Book and these Disney movies that they did a really good job making them games back then for Sega. And there might be a lot of our listeners that might be older, younger, like whatever the case may be, if you played those old Disney games on Sega or Super Nintendo, you have to admit like they were pretty well done. They stuck pretty close to the to the game or to the movies mm-hmm. and they were challenging and they were great. Um I, that's what I think of when I think of Disney. I, I go right back to the Lion King on Sega. That's probably the one game for me um, that I enjoyed the most as a kid oh, though, fuck, growing yeah. up and playing it. And I can even go back and play it now. And even though, you know, it's still the Lion King, you're still Simba. To me, it's it. it doesn't matter that I'm 26 turning 27 now. Like, I still enjoy it to this day, like thoroughly, even though it's meant for kids. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, with, um the star wars and and everything of that nature um there's a lot of things you can think about when it comes to disney but for me anyway my touchstones would be like those classic sega games that they came out with that i thought were really good, really well done
0: oh yeah for sure i mean i'm kind of in the same boat i didn't have a gen literally the first system i truly owned that was one that i not bought but like Somebody got for me for a gift was my N sixty four. I mean, we had an NES in the house. I didn't have a Super Nintendo until later on, but I still had friends who had one, so I played it pretty regu- regularly. My first kind of touchstones with Disney games would probably be like, like Toy Story on the SNES and Sega, like um, all those like big Disney motion picture ones, the Disney animated ones, like you were saying, Lion King, Aladdin, and you know with how crazy it is thinking about it now that the Aladdin game was literally two very different games from mechanics and presentation from super Nintendo to Sega. But I uh, like, I always remember the Sega one more, but I remember playing and liking the SNES one more because I yeah. think it was like a plat, it was much more a platformer than like, like a, not like a beat up, but a hack and slash almost. Um, Right. But really the first one that I connected with like, that I remember loving was Kingdom Hearts. um, Just because I liked Final Fantasy. I didn't have an issue with Disney, but I remember seeing, like, I liked Disney growing up, but, like, by the time Kingdom Hearts came out, I think that was, like, 2002. So I'm, like, nine years old at that point. So, like, I'm kind of out of that Disney phase for the most part, but, like, I love Final Fantasy. I thought just that whole concept of combining the two was so unique. And now, as I'm older, hearing the story of, how that came to be is really so interesting with the director of kingdom hearts getting on an elevator with the disney rep for and uh yeah the disney rep for games and whatnot getting on an elevator and pitching literally giving him an elevator pitch in that ride up and working his way into getting that is crazy but yet kingdom hearts has always been that one that sticks out that i always go back to that i still fondly think of and you know i play a played most of them and played kingdom hearts three last year and was pretty you know upbeat about it i liked it um but really since then like looking even at it now it's you know now getting into my gaming where it's like i'm focused more on like i was kind of saying like we're in that demographic now where we're the ones that game that companies are now really turning their focus on these, de- uh, mm-hmm. the publishers more or less that are giving the developers, hey, we want to do this and we want to approach it this way, because we're the ones who are spending the money on games. We're the ones who are physically buying the games and not just buying them for kids or whatever. We're buying them for ourselves and we're the ones playing, um, that eighteen to thirty five demographic. So they're more like I was saying, people are just kind of seeing through the bullshit now with these quick cash grabs that, you know seeing a spider-man now come out now that they're under the disney umbrella marvel's under the disney umbrella and you know i love jedi fallen order my game of the year last year um and even before that like i enjoyed the battlefront games you know when they came out this generation for what they were i didn't get balls deep in them and didn't get the old banana in the tailpipe with the fucking microtransactions (laughs) just playing them for what they were like they were good um they were really polished they were really when they hit they were fun to play but they were you know there was much to be desired now battlefield 2 is in a great place supposedly so i'm like you i had a lot of those early touchstones with it but and i think that's a that's kind of what we're trying to hit on here with this discussion is we had them back then that there was such a big gap up until recently when marvel games was really the one pushing to like we want to we want to start working with specific uh you know we want to start working with specific developers and get the right publisher in here to handle our ip and to use them correctly and we want to give them those freedoms to make good single-player narrative games not quick cash grabs or anything like that so um i'm with you like that touchstone is just there's that big gap and it's because i think what they're trying to fix now like we don't want to do we want to have people to have these touchstone moments throughout their life because we have such strong ip that world-renowned ip that are, have so much weight that I think people really want to invest their time in and um but kind of moving on talking I mentioned Marvel games you know they're like I was saying they were really the first pillar in this new trajectory with licensed games when Bill Roseman who is VP and head of creative over at my Marvel, Marvel games and he has been involved with Marvel for years and years and years and he lived breathed and died that comic company now that he came into this role you know he was the one who first started pushing this new initiative. He knew it'd be a long-term success, but one that would, you know, it it would be something that wasn't necessarily right in the short term because of how game development is, but it's one that could potentially pay off astronomically, and that's picking the right developer for the right property. So with Marvel's Avengers coming this fall, kind of bringing it back to current-gen titles and talking, you know, Xbox today and how Disney's going to impact that with their properties, what makes you think, Mike that Crystal Dynamics was the right fit for this project, given their past experience rebooting Tomb Raider to critical and commercial success. I mean, there are tons of people who love this new Tomb Raider series, me included, um, that really saw that there was something there with that IP, retooled it, and said, let's bring it from the ground up, make it more grounded and more believable and more, more of a reason to get invested in Lara Croft, not just being the... Uh, polygonal tit machine that she was back then. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. realistically, like, that was like, yeah, like, that was like 90s boys, like, first boners, at least to 3D hente. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right. So, um, you know, so why do you think Crystal Dynamics, who is really well, you know, well received and well viewed in the games industry, why do you think they were the right choice, given their past experience?
1: I just think, you know, the studio was founded on july 8th 1992 27 years ago and Mm -hmm. recently has been uh you know purchased by square enix here up and now they're as uh you know they're a part that's their parent company square enix here up and you know i just think that it's a company like you said you pretty much took my answer like they did such a great job on the tomb raider games it's Mm -hmm. like um, developers like this, like, there's always rising and falling stock on developers. I think it, it it can be compared to like the stock market, or you know, if you're into fantasy for- sports, you know, or even sports in general. There's rising and falling stocks for certain players at all times, and mm-hmm. I think that Crystal Dynamics is one that is you know very much a green up arrow as far as how they're trending as a design studio. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you wanted to tell a fresh story with the avengers um universe in the marvel universe i think that they're the company to do it because just like you said they made such an about face on the tomb raider um series that they kind of changed everyone's outlook on the tomb raider series um you know and you said it best uh you know, using Laura Croft as a sex symbol, I mean, they still did her right by that. I mean, she's still an attractive character.
0: Don't get me wrong right but, like, but it's that's much not more, the main sticking no point. you're you're she's actually like, seeing depth with that character yeah now. you're seeing shes aified badass right. you're like, seeing true conflict within her and reasons to care about her and her as a person and her as a character and what she's doing her mo her motivations her shortcomings, all these things that you're invested in her as a character and not just because, like you said, she's a sex symbol, not because she's smoking hot or whatever you want to, however you want to call it. Right.
1: And, you know, they made a game called Legacy of Cain a long time ago. Fuck yeah, they
0: did, dude.
1: (laughs) And it, it, it looks, you know, really good. Of course, I never really got to play it, but... Going back and looking up some information about it makes me really interested in something that I might actually go on go out of my way to pick it up on purpose. Cause I have a Dreamcast,
0: so Dude, that was the have... one game that like I remember being so jealous that I didn't have a Dreamcast back in the day when I saw that game because I remember getting um the Ido's uh fucking demo disc that they used to give out. And I remember having that game on there. There was a game that we talked about once before called Revenant, I believe. Um, yes. That it was like a Diablo co- clone almost. Um I remember really liking it too. Um But I remember they had the trailer for that on there. And I remember watching it so many times being like, this looks so fucking cool. Like this is like edgy, hardcore shit. And I'm like, whatever, fucking six years old at the time, watch this. I'm like, fuck, I need to play this game. Uh, and obviously didn't have one, didn't have a dreamcast that wasn't going to work out and also too it was like brain mature at the time so there was no fucking way my parents were buying me a mature game at six <laughs> so right. um but i remember always wanting that game because it looks so fucking cool and they like tried remake actually there was something that popped up recently i can't remember i think amy henning worked on hold on now that's gonna let me see yeah, she, I was going to say Amy Henning, who's responsible for crafting um, Uncharted and you know working with Naughty Dog and really being a part. She's one of these big industry icons uh, from the development end who is really, really big into making story-based games and games that people want to live in. And she's been such a big part of that for many and many of years. But she was behind. Uh, she directed Legacy of Cain. Uh, she directed uh, Soul Reaver, Defiance, and she did uh, Blood Omen, too. So, it, it, like, and she's even, like, talked about it, I think, before. Like, somebody brought it up to her, and she was like, can't believe it's been 20 years making since making Legacy of Kain. Love to try it again, type of deal. So, like, even then, there's like, holy fuck, people still know about this game? Like, that's fucking sweet. <laughs> but, yeah, Legacy of Kain, man. Always wanted that game, never fucking got it. Yeah, I mean, I, I still have a Dreamcast at home collecting true. dust. Fuck, so. dude, I have a Dreamcast now. T- I know when I'm. Mm, legacy yeah, game. Go Fuck on it. eBay, bud. Fuck it. Go out there and buy it. Actually, much legacy. Again. I'm just gonna look real quick. This is this is some behind the scenes baseball stuff that probably probably future Travis may. Leave in, may leave out. Uh, let's see, Legacy of Cain. There's probably like one cop. There's like probably like 50 copies on there. They're all going for like 99 cents, and people are like, "Why the fuck are you trying to buy this?" <laughs> <laughs> Legacy of Kane Dreamcast. Ah, here we go. And it's like between 10 and 20 dollars to get a copy on Dreamcast. Yeah, like why not? Yeah, fuck it. I may buy that. I may buy it. Somebody out here. Oh, it's it's factory sealed. Okay, that makes sense. Somebody's out here selling it for like 50, 60 bucks. I'm like, woo. Woof. Okay. <laughs> so, but yeah. So, like, kind of what you were saying, that's what's always resume- resonated with me with Crystal Dynamics. They were always committed to these experiences that were new and unique each time. But, and I think what they saw with Legacy of Kane and a lot of things like Blood Omen as well, that they saw kind of evolution with each game that came out. And I'm sure now granted, I don't know what square Enix thought whenever they're doing this, but my assumption is in the way that they handled. cause I believe they did another tomb Raider right before that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, which one was it? Do you, do you have that up still? I can't remember. Uh, are you talking about before legacy of cane? No, they did a, uh, or gex G E X. Well, yeah, they did gex too. I remember that I had, which one did I had? Uh, fuck was it enter the gecko the one where he's like stone cold steve austin <laughs> i think yeah uh, uh yeah yeah, yeah. It was, there was yes yeah it was that one gex uh enter uh whatever it is gex enter the gecko it wasn't that fucking good but uh i remember he i remember it was one of those games that required the uh the n64 memory card which i didn't have which fucking pissed me off but also too on the front of the cart the sticker on the cart he was stone cold steve austin and it was fucking awesome i was like this game sucks but i'm always gonna hang on to this game (laughs) um no they did uh tomb raider legend tomb raider anniversary and tomb raider underworld so Mm -hmm. um i remember underworld being a big one um that came out i don't think it was very well received but the fact that they were square enix saw enough with crystal dynamics that they saw evolutions with each game them trying new things and most of the time succeeding up until you know certain you know tomb raider games that i think at that point people were just so burnt out of tomb raider in general um and having it on the shelf for five years after that too probably helped but um you know definitely to me they seem like that one developer that's like okay we're coming in here with something different. We want you to tell a unique story. We want you to evolve what you think the Avengers should be, at least in game format, not just a random beat 'em up game that you're going through movie locations. No, we're pulling from our own story. You guys are gonna have your own story to play with. We want you to design that. We want you to have hands-on with this in every way possible. And, you know, we'll back you. We may provide some input, but it's mostly just we just want you to make something unique to this universe and not necessarily don't worry about the fucking movies don't worry about all this stuff don't worry about the comic books worry about making an avenger story that's right for you and i think they have such a good back catalog that kind of pushes that forward um but uh so kind of moving into a little bit more kind of talking about legacy of kane kind of ties into that being a mature rated game but you know 20th century fox adds a real kind of unique wrinkle to this topic I think as generally speaking their library includes more mature franchises than Disney overall I'd have to say um do you see Disney feeling comfortable expanding to more mature audiences given their massive success with you know teen rated games and PG-13 movies within the Star Wars and Marvel universes do you think seeing you know different IP from that catalog of Disney IP that could be, um, you know, Alien and shit like that that pops out that they could say, hey, we're cool with putting that out. I mean, granted, it's going to be under probably the Fox logo still or Fox Publishing. It's not – it's still Disney, but it's under a different entity still. They're not going to be putting their, you know, tag directly on that possibly. Right. um, You know, do you think them as a company with how, at times, like – PC friendly, they could be, um, very politically correct at times. Do you, do you see them having this being an issue for them? Or do you see them leaning into it? Like I'm saying, given the success of the teen rated games and PG 13 films they've had with star Wars and Marvel.
1: Yeah, it's definitely something. I think it's more of like a business. I think it was just purely like a business move to kind of absorb, uh, 21st century flocks in kind of get their like get the like like you said i think that they're still going to utilize the 21st century fox logo and branding for the games or movies that they put out i think yeah. that it's just going to be like it's going to be like you know pixar is pixar but everyone knows it's owned by disney you know what i mean right i think that's where that's gonna go um espn's espn but we know it's owned by disney i just think it's a situation where like Bob's burgers and the Simpsons and things of that nature. Like, obviously the Simpsons at times can, especially when we were younger, were was like kind of almost taboo in a weird way. Like,
0: dude, I remember was, just liking the Simpsons because I, they were like adultish cartoons and I yeah, it you were was like, like, not edgy. allowed to like Yeah, that. exactly. Yeah.
1: So I think like all things considered with all that, um, I, I think it's, I think it's, you know, worth noting that, um, that's something that you would consider but also um i'm reading something really quick oh, you're you know the vo the fox vfx which would be video visual effects lab has been working on like mortal Kombat 11 halo 4 mm-hmm. assassin's creed syndicate rise of the tomb raider so like just cause 3 which these games just cause 3 rise of the tomb raider Watch Dogs, um those games are, you know, direct relations back to Square Enix and Call of Duties and Sonic the Hedgehogs. And, you know, they've been working on video games. So I think it's just like I think it's purely a business move that just makes sense for Disney. Mm-hmm. They had the capital. They're going to get their money out of Fox. It just made sense that they're a bigger company and they kind of bought them. And I do predict that, you know, it'll be all under fox still but it'll just be like behind the scenes disney's the ones getting the money you know what i mean and funding some of the
0: projects yeah yeah definitely i i definitely i personally don't see this being an issue i one money makes the world go round money talks if they're they see the success that jedi fallen orders had and granted even with jedi fallen order too you know at first people had a big issue with oh you know why can't if why can't in Star Wars movies where you're playing a Jedi with a lightsaber, why can't you dismember people? Like, not in a grotesque way, but the fact that, yeah, if somebody gets, it's a lightsaber, if somebody gets hit in the arm, they're gonna lose that limb. It cuts through anything for the most part. Um, But, you know, and I understood that, like, that's when people start having a little bit of criticism, like, from Disney being like, oh, is this Disney kind of leaning in saying, no, we don't want to do that, we, you know, this isn't the image we want to have of dismemberment and stuff. We want these to be family friendly and this and that when traditionally they've been pretty laxed with the star Wars films overall, but then people started seeing like there was a compromise for that with like between those two, whenever they started seeing more enemies that aren't human, they're robotic or they're the like alien, you know, like alienoid creatures that are on the planets that you go and visit. You're able to chop them up into little pieces, basically. You chop them in half, you do whatever, it shows it all. Like, you know, so there is, there's a compromise within there, but I don't see that being, like, an issue. I think more people, they know that more people are buying, if it's a quality game people are looking for, especially a quality single-player game, we've seen how, you know, developers doubled down whenever more publishers were coming out saying single-player games are basically dead or insinuating that, you know, developers kind of push to double down on that saying no fuck that let's you know we're double downing on single player games now we want to try these single player games they're great let's do it and you've seen now so many different franchises come through and have that success with single player games much more over multiplayer ones at least in the you know the zeitgeist of you know current gaming that's in modern gaming you know things like that but uh you know, I don't see it being an issue. Like, if it's a good game, it's a good game. It doesn't necessarily matter if it's T, E, whatever. But Disney doesn't seem to be afraid to push that. Even with, um, you know, even with Marvel Spider-Man, for example. And I know that's a PlayStation exclusive title. But one of my favorite games this generation, hands down. Um, And being such a big Spider-Man fan, big Marvel fan, it was so cool in the DLC. And this is a Disney-owned property that they're pushing. That... Or at least in this zeitgeist, I guess, with Marvel being it's it's not it's not Spider Man movie because that would be under Sony technically, even though Sony's pretty it's a fucking it's a fucking mess. But since they own Marvel and they own the comic rights to Spider Man, they it's in it Disney owns it still. Anyways, right. um but uh but in the DLC, the City That Never Sleeps DLC that they did for that game, which is fucking awesome. I rarely go out and like buy DLC unless it's in a you know game of the year edition or whatever, then I get everything. Um, but went out and bought that because I love that game so much. and want to support you know projects that I love. Um, in the DLC, the city that never sleeps, it focuses on a relationship that Peter Parker, well, Spider Man, I guess still, Spider Man and Black Cat have, where Black Cat like says that she's pregnant with like Spider Man's kid, like or insinuates that it's his kid and like they kind of tackle some like pretty adult shit. That's like, Oh, I knocked this girl up type of deal. Like that. I feel like if you're, we're looking at, you know, maybe 15 years ago, Disney might not want to go down that road, but considering how more lax, I guess society is with taboo things more anymore. And people are more open with sex and different things like that. You know, I don't see that being an issue. Like the game sold. Well, the DLC reviewed pretty damn well for DLC that, you know, I it, I just don't feel, especially with a big property and a smash hit like uh, Marvel Spider-Man, they were willing, they, they said, okay, it's cool. You go ahead and try this one, you know, roll the dice on this, uh, you know, and people seem to like it. So I, I'm with you. I don't think we're going to have too much of an issue with that. So uh, kind of rounding up the discussion, I want to play a little bit of a game, Mike. And originally this was going to be when, if Mike Collins was going to be on this episode, but uh, I want to play a game and I'll just kind of chime in with it. I'm going to give you a Disney-owned IP, and I want you to do the following with it. I want you to pair that IP with a developer you think is good. Give me some kind of, like, proof of concept, like, you know, what you'd do in the game or the art style or something, like, what would you like to see with that game, and why do you think it would be a great pair? So, let me pull up the list here. I'm just going to kind of throw a couple out there, and I want to see what you kind of throw back to me. So, let's start, let's start simple toy story i throw you toy story who would you like to see make a toy story game and what would you like to see out of that toy story game pretty simple huh. at it, least in it my could opinion. be any any developer could be or... it could be any developer i mean it's an xbox show it could be an xbox studio but it it could be we're thinking third party for the most part so like for example uh I, I, one of the one of the podcasts I've listened to, they recently did something similar to this whenever they were discussing this. Uh, somebody brought up, uh, okay, here's the black cauldron. Uh, you remember the Disney animated movie, the black cauldron. I vaguely yes. remembered it. I knew what it was, but I was like, fuck, I got to.'" they said, Oh, okay. the black cauldron mesh it with, uh, from software, like who makes dark souls and sickero and stuff like that, where they're leaning into that medieval fantasy, but make it like a dark souls light esque thing. Um, something like that.
1: Um, well, okay. So a game or a studio that comes to mind that, you know, might be one that, um, isn't necessarily too relevant with the show besides one certain game, Mm -hmm. but I think a, a game,
0: I kind of wanted to go with roll the uh, dice, doggy dog. Let's hear it.
1: I thought Insomniac games who made, who Mm -hmm. is famous for Spyro and ratchet and clank
0: see here's the fun thing about that being a playstation uh like a playstation first party studio now this is our podcast and we can just fucking talk about them if we want to even though this yeah. is an xbox show so it, go ahead i want to hear so- I mean, they made
1: Sunset Overdrive in 2014, so... Underrated game.
0: Underrated game. If you have the chance, it's on Game Pass, it's fucking stellar. Go and play Sunset Overdrive. If you're a fan of Marvel Spider-Man, you could easily tell why they thought they went to Insomniac and said, I think you understand the mechanics, you're very good with traversal and different things like that, because that game is fucking awesome with that. You could see why they went with Insomniac to make Spider-Man. But go ahead and continue. I think if you made a
1: game that was similar to Spyro in the fact that um, you had a main character, uh, you would play as Woody or Buzz most likely, but you would also have like little side quests where you would switch off and you could play as like Ham or um, Slinky Dog. And, and, you know, you could kind of play a few different characters, but I would model it more after Spyro, an adventure type of like RPG game Mm -hmm. that you have, uh, you know, a goal inside of Toy Story normal stuff uh, get back to Andy or you know whatever your case may be in this in this situation and you know it's I would say the art style you would want to keep it just like Toy Story is you wouldn't want to go too crazy on the art style Mm -hmm. I would just make it cartoony kind of like you know Pixar has it and that's what I would do with Toy Story personally I would make it a single player game uh, an RPG and I would just you know kind of have fun with it and if you wanted to model it after a movie, cool. If not, that's cool too. You could have made a new story that's just kind of like a spinoff of the, you know, four movies. Whatever you wanted to do. Um, mm-hmm. One that comes to mind. This might be uh, spoiler alert, but sorry, you've had a while to watch the the movie, and now I think it's on Disney Plus. But I would make it modeled after the Toy Story four movie, mm-hmm. and you would be like in a carnival, and your goal is to make sure everyone gets on the RV to go home. You know, kind of like yeah. the movie does but make it spyro ask where you would be like third person over the shoulder as woody or buzz and that's your goal is to make sure you get everyone back onto the rv except for you know when you're woody uh spoiler alert tier alert you're not you're not making it home you know what i mean that's right. how i would go about it
0: yeah no that i think that'd be dope um definitely to going to those especially with how big spyro is right now in terms of how well that you know the remaster trilogy was received and whatnot you know i could definitely see that working out that'd be pretty dope um here's another one for you and this is kind of going off the beaten path a little bit alien a 20th century fox franchise the alien franchise what would you like to see from that since it is a disney-owned student or disney-owned ip now what do you think how do you think that would fit with a specific developer and what would you like to see out of that I would go just off the hip again, going back to a
1: Sony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would I would say Capcom mm-hmm. would seem like it would make sense. Well
0: just they're the not I ask. mean
1: they're not uh they're not owned by Sony. Yeah, I know, but it seems like a lot of people kinda associate Resident Evil with PlayStation, which true. is pretty fair. Very true. But I would say I would go with Capcom. Uh the the survival horror na- I would focus on the survival horror nature of it which is kind of right up Capcom's alley with a resident evil. It'd be a lot like resident evil, mm-hmm. um, a similar art style to resident evil. Also, um, I would go first person with alien personally. Mm-hmm. So a lot more like resident evil seven. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that's, that's where I would go. I would go Capcom all the way with that. Yeah, no, that'd be sweet. One game, uh, or one developer that I was thinking of frictional games. Okay. For the, the, the uh, fucking amnesia team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that would be the, in terms of there's no, there's no combat. There's no, literally you're focused on how like your fear levels and the resources that you have. There's resource management, but there's no, there's literally no combat whatsoever. It is trying to stay alive. It is trying to, you know, literally focus in on what made alien special of that tense claustrophobic feeling that you get when there's something inside a closed structure that you're in with no escape and you only have a few options and none of them is trying to combat that thing it's how to get out and you know how to escape um
1: i i think that'd be dope I, another thing that another studio that comes to mind for me to be like id software mm-hmm. but again i mean that's going more to like uh ID is pretty known for Doom, obviously. So yeah. that'd be kind of relating those too much. But I definitely think your take is is interesting. Something that I hadn't that hadn't popped into my mind. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I think that'd be
0: awesome. Hmm, let's see what what else could we do here. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. How about how about this? Now this is more there's been rumors that this game is actually, there is a game actually in development for this, but until we see anything official, I don't believe it type of like we will. I shouldn't say that. I do believe it, but I also, at the same time, it isn't, it isn't official yet. So we're going to act like it isn't, you know, actually official, like it isn't actually there. So guardians of the galaxy, you got, uh, you know, a party system or something, you know, you're dealing with multiple characters, that you're switching out between or something like that. Who makes that game? What's it look like? Um, you know, is it more grounded? Is it more super slapsticky? Is it lighthearted? Is it, like I said, a party mechanic? Is it isometric? Like, what do you think? I would go, with the Guardians of the Galaxy,
1: I would go to Bioware, and I would do it a lot like Mass Effect, where you play as one singular character but the members of your party uh, you know you can utilize them in certain situations you can rotate what what battles you're going to use your certain party members and that's how I would go about it and I would go about it in a single player rpg style again a lot like mass effect but i would liven it up with a lot more slapstick humor just because that's the way gardens of the galaxy really is and that's how that's what i would do i would i would employ bioware
0: mm-hmm.
1: preferably 2008 Bioware but you know I'd I'd give that that's
0: who I would give and that's I would try to model it a lot like Mass Effect yeah no that would be dope um I actually was thinking something about that uh just because supposedly Square Enix is working on a Guardians of the Galaxy game that seems to be kind of similar in that vein um so I could easily see that working but Another that I kind of think about from time to time and even just kind of sticking with the square format is having it almost like a a dragon age where or not dragon age I'm sorry like a dragon quest where it's more uh you know turn based and you're doing more not grinding but you're going on specific quests and different things like that. It's more story element like story elemented you're focused it is linear but it's still kind of an open world rpg in a sense but more like a jrpg feel to it um they always seem to be good with that anime like animated i should say like cartoony feeling that you get from you know the comic book genre at least overall um with games so i could see something like that working um let's do one more uh let me think of a good one i want to I give you an off the wall one i want to make you think here um <laughs> all right i got one die hard fuck <laughs> die hard you got bruce willis running around who fucking makes a Die Hard game? It makes good, obviously. Um, who makes a Die Hard game? What the fuck do you do in a Die Hard game? Do you just go through the story? Do you just do Die Hard 1, yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker? Um, do you kick fucking uh, Severus Snape off the top of the building or whatever and he fucking dies? You know, what goes on in a Die Hard game and who makes that? <laughs> um, the Disney-owned is- diehard. Die Hard. <laughs>
1: Oh gosh, um, you gotta give me one second for this. Go ahead. So we'll go. <laughs> you know what? You know, know what I? You know who I would go for for Die Hard? Who? I would go for oh, Rockstar Games. Okay. Okay. And I would just go against where they're going now with all the multiplayer BS. Yeah. I would simply go full bore into the single player aspect of it, a throwback to like old school GTA's. Yeah. And I would just die
0: hard, I would go straight for Rockstar. Dude, that'd be that would actually be pretty fucking sick. I'm I'm not gonna lie. Um you know who else I think would make a good uh Rockstar or Rockstar game? Um fuck, I gotta look them up real quick. I can't remember um ba ba. Um, okay. So you know who I actually think would make kind of a cool diehard game just because of the city elements and them used to working in that space and God knows they could use some goodwill right now. Sumo digital, the crackdown developers. I okay. can see them doing something like that. They're good with working. Now granted, they're it's very much you know, off the wall, big action, slapsticky with crackdown. Um, but they're used to one working with building in like big name actors into this into these worlds and like doing it so in not a fourth wall breaking way, but like in a way that like knows it's not overtly serious and I think for something like Die Hard that's true because it's so ridiculous in general. Um mm-hmm. them working with Terry Crews and everything before, I I could see see that working out well, but to the destruction that happens, everything like that. I could see them making, even if it isn't necessarily Die Hard, like, and we're picking Die Hard for this, but, like, just an action movie style game. Like, a big blockbuster, blow-em-up, like, type game that they seem so, like, ready to do something like that. Like, that they would fit so well that it wouldn't even, like, wouldn't even have to think about it type of thing. But... I don't know. I can see that Rockstar, to be honest, Rockstar sounds obviously much more appealing to me, but, uh, Rockstar making a fucking diehard game, man. Jesus (laughs) Christ. I would at least, give me like a GTA five mod for that. Just imagine
1: like being Bruce Willis and just running around, just beating the hell out of people.
0: Just at any time (laughs) for no reason. uh, Yeah. You looked at me funny. Where's Alan Rickman at? (laughs) Exactly. Fuck. All right. With that, let's, I think it's time to wrap it up. Mike, that's going to do it for our show today. Why don't you tell these people where they can find you on the interwebs to talk about all this fucking random shit that we talked about today because we kind of went all over the place with our discussion about Disney and the fucking random shit they own now. Where can people talk to you about games and all that jazz on the web?
1: At Twitter, at,
0: uh, at T-O-Y-S-X-L-D-I-E-R
1: and on Twitch at MP underscore Toy Soldier is where you can find me.
0: And... As always, I'm your host, Travis Wade, aka Travelist, on most internet platforms, including Twitter at. Traveless underscore, that's T-R-A-V-L-E-S-S underscore. You can also find me streaming time to time on Twitch.tv slash Traveless underscore, same as Twitter. And if you want to, we can play some video games over on Xbox Live at regular Traveless, so that's just T-R-A-V-L-E-S-S. And this, ladies and gentlemen, has been your newest episode of the Game Pass GameCast, your weekly go-to podcast for all things Xbox and Xbox Game Pass, including news, rumors, and conversations around them damn good video games. You can catch new episodes, new you can catch new episodes of the show when they drop each and every Friday morning on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud, and all other major podcast services. So, be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get a podcast at, and follow us on Twitter at gpgc podcast. Stay up to date with everything regarding the show, video games alike, and our dope giveaways, like our Doom Eternal giveaway that we talked about at the top of the show. Make sure you go check the description below to get entered. It's only, like, a month away now, so make sure you get entered. Psst. Um, and with that being said, guys... Or I should say, guys, it's just me and you today. (laughs) Talking to the voices in my head too, shocker. (laughs) That's going to be it for our show this week. Thank you so much for listening, sharing, and being a part of our growing community. Go out there and play them damn good video games, and we will see you next week.